So welcome to OTXNT, episode number two. And uh, before we get started, our New Testament guy, you going to start us off with the Lord's Prayer? Let's go for it. <clears throat> our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right. Excited to be here. Two in a row here. Two weeks. We've made it. I've, had, I've already plotted out the rest of the year. So we've got a lot of time, a lot of plans. Dr. Marquez. Yes, topic, sir. So we had some discussion from things before I made my sticky notes um, of things I think we should be talking about over the next course of the months. But... Um, today uh, is more of a New Testament topic, so line it up. What are we, uh, what are we going with? So I think uh, we're looking at the question of ordination and some church office questions. Uh, deacons, pastors, elders, uh, should we add some bishops in there, you know? No. Look, man, we're, I, okay, look, just, <laughs> just as we continue on these, um, I'm a Baptist, so, you know, we can we can talk about some of these terms, but I don't have that in my tradition. Um, you like reading a lot of the other stuff, so you're there. <laughs> I know that you, you can talk a lot more about it than I can. Well, um, I remember when we were installing our, uh, our director of missions, uh, one of the questions that came up was, uh, what do we do if you've got some church discipline issues? And uh, one of his answers was, you know, sometimes you have to kind of assume the role of the bishop. And I'm like, what? I've, I've never heard a Baptist mention the word bishop. But we, we do have kind of an unbroken chain, uh, an association in the Southern Baptist world where we've uh, allowed, you know, um, folks to, to assume some sort of hierarchical um, guidance over us, not necessarily full authority. But yeah, uh, but yeah you know, I, I, we, we just have such a different view of this than other denominations. And I think it's, it's biblical. But yeah. yeah. Where do you want to start off on this thing? You want to start off on office questions and deacons? Well, let, let me start with this. So kind of a real life scenario. You and I both have talked about this for a while because it comes up. I mean, so here's the inevitable question. In the Baptist world, right, we do have people and churches that as they start uh, or as they're going through a process of kind of rethinking church that inevitably come to the question of, um, do I need deacons? Uh, and I think part of that's rooted, obviously, in a, I think there's two parts to it. So one of it is a, whoever's leading on that is usually coming from uh, one of two scenarios. One is a traumatic experience dealing with deacons in that there were people who were probably on that deacon committee, that deacon board, um, deacon body, or whatever you call it, uh, that were probably people that would not actually fit the biblical, biblical qualifications. Um, either that or the guy who's complaining just didn't fit it and his deacons were kind of calling him out. Uh, or it was just from an improper understanding of what they're to do. Because I know in a lot of churches, even in our Baptist world, um, we are, we're off on what does a deacon do? And why do you need him? So some will say, well, we don't need him anymore because it just means servants. And others will say, no, you need them. And the next thing you know, the deacons are making all the decisions. Uh, and then there's not really a distinction between elder or deacon. So I, I think one of the first things I at least want to kind of throw it out there is, um, let's just deal with question number one, which is, um, is, is the 
office of deacon, does that exist and is it needed? Uh, or are they simply just servants? So let's start it out. I'll chime in. Bob, I'm going to listen to you, Mr. Mr. New Testament. So my, my thought on deacons in general is that they are a biblical office. Um, they arose out of a need in Acts. You know, if we go to the disciples trying to figure out how does this new church work, uh, we uh, are, are delving into the word, trying to really understand the, uh, the Bible in light of the Holy Spirit being given and Christ ascending. Uh, and so there are needs of the church, and these needs are taxing the time of the apostles. And uh, uh, if we have presbyters in place, I'm not sure just yet, but the church leadership is, is taxed. And so they say, church, choose for yourself seven men of high regard uh, so that we can deal with the feeding of our sick widows. So I, I do think that that says that it's apostolic, it's uh, right. There's nothing wrong with having deacons. Do you need deacons? I think that the general view of the church throughout history is that you have two offices, at least, deacons and pastors. <clears throat> so when we get to qualifications in Timothy, we see deacons are there. When we have the greetings in Philippians, it says, you know, to the, um, including the overseers and the deacons. And so we, we have kind of an expectation that the deacons are going to be in the mix. So uh, I think uh, you got a harder case to say we have no need for deacons than the, than the opposite. So what do you say, <clears throat> though? Because, I mean, obviously the word deacon means servant. What do you say to people who say, well, look, they're just servants of the church. And so therefore it's kind of more of a blanket terminology that really all you need is pastors. And then you can have kind of your volunteers and those are essentially deacons. What do you, what do you think about that? So if, if all they were was just general servants and, and not required, then we wouldn't, we wouldn't have specific qualifications given for them. So uh, again, if everybody's a servant and as a Baptist, I believe every man's a minister, every woman's a servant, a uh, minister, uh, that we're all uh, called to a vocational uh, ministry, that, that we have a calling on our lives. Yet, uh, the Bible affirms all that to be true, and it also then creates this office of deacons that you can't just have anybody be a deacon. And so that, that to me, says that, you know, this is, this is separate, this is different, and uh, there's a right way to do this. So I would, I would say the Bible expects that the church is going to have deacons. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, when you look at 1 Timothy 3 and you look at the list beginning in verse 8, right, you're seeing he's made a list of, he's very specific. Right before that, he starts listing what the, the overseers are to look like. Then he gets into deacons. And so for you to say, for someone to say, well, deacon just means servant, therefore it means it's pretty much anybody in the church. Um, this is, granted, when I preach this passage, I do tell my people, whether you're going to be a pastor, whether you're going to be a deacon, um, uh, these are all things, they're all good qualifications for every Christian. Like every Christian should shoot to be what those are in terms of what those qualifications should be. Yet there is a standard that is specific to what that office should be, meaning that if you are not those, it's not just simply, well, aspire to it. It means that this should be pretty much the air about who you are in order to be one in the church, in order to serve and to be this. So it's not just a, these are great, think about this. 
you know, this is for everyone across the board. You should still aspire to that, but it's, it is specific of an office. It's specific of a group of people who are to serve in the church. Yeah, so I, I've never really understood or connected well with the groups uh, that are like, we don't need deacons. Uh, I think it, it usually comes from, like you said, a bad experience. Uh, I see it two ways. One, a bad experience. So I'm not, I'm not going to put myself in that situation again. Uh, so I won't have deacons. I'll have something else. Or uh, it comes from the other side of I don't have uh, people I can really count on to fill that office. So maybe we don't need that office at all. And uh, I think, you know, one is a development of uh, upcoming leaders and um, good men of the faith. Uh, and the other, uh, you, you can't cast aside church tradition and biblical guidance because you had a bad experience. That's, um, you know, people have had bad experience with pastors too. Are we going to throw away the pastor? You know, some so. do. I mean, we know we, some do, some do say we're done, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, okay. I guess alongside that question then is, um, you know, what should a deacon be doing? Right. Because if you're going to have a bad experience, probably that means as a pastor, that relationship between pastor to deacon is out of whack. And so there's probably something that has gone wrong. Um, and, and look, as a pastor, I am not saying that it's the deacons who are wrong. And that's why you've had a bad experience. I know plenty of pastors who have messed things up because it was them who were off and what they were demanding. And that's the deacons uh, kind of had to step in. But I do know a lot of scenarios where our deacons are not actually seeming to do what the biblical office is telling them to do. So if you look at the text, Andrew, what do you imagine? And I'm not going to say imagine. How do you interpret? Because that's what it comes down to. It's not imagine. How, how do I interpret the office of deacon and what should it be doing if, in fact, you connect it, like I do, to Acts chapter 6? Well, I think that's the key. The, the, the deacon should be deaking. Uh, they, they need to be serving. The word is servant. And uh, the word became associated with the office. You know, actually, in, in Acts, they're not called deacons, but, but we pretty well understand that that's the, the office that's created there. And, and that's what they, the office is the function. So they're, they're serving. Now, I do think it's important. I think people, I think many people that have a call to full-time vocational ministry, maybe on a, on a road towards uh, a pastorate, often uh, start satisfying that call in, in the role of a deacon. And so because of that, you know, and I, I always regretted that I wasn't ordained a deacon before I became a pastor. I almost looked at it as a stepping stone, which is not required by scripture, but, um, but I've done a lot of deaking around the church. You know? um, and I think a lot of guys that are hungry to go into ministry find themselves just spending all their time in the Lord's house trying to meet needs. And it's, it's almost a, uh, a way of saying, hey, uh, I may be called into vocational full-time ministry. And so uh, because of that, I think some guys uh, end up in that office of deacon and they're almost putting the cart before the horse and they start trying to move into the, the leadership role more of the eldership pastor role um, because that's where they feel called, but they're, they're kind of doing their time a, as a deacon. And so it mm. can become, um, it, it can become problematic if you have a group of deacons who now are, are trying to act as the elder board, the presbyter board uh, and, uh, and, and start kind of confusing the roles. Um, so I, I think in general, we've got to be real careful with 
when you're in the office of the deacon, you're going to be deaking, you're going to be serving, you're going to be meeting those needs. However, you're also open to do a whole host of things. And, and uh, you know, if we look at Philip, Philip's basically an, an evangelist. You know, he's one of the seven and God's uh, sending him to talk to the, the eunuch and he's chasing down chariots. He's, he's bearing the gospel. He's like teleported to a different place. I mean, he, he does some incredible things. Uh, Stephen is a preacher. He, uh, an apologist. He's bringing the gospel directly to uh, the Jewish leadership. He dies as a martyr, not for serving. You know, he, he dies as a martyr for preaching. And so I think that we need to look at that office and say, okay, when you're functioning in this office, this is what you do. But it doesn't mean that you can't also be doing these other things, which really we wish all our members were being more active as evangelists and sharing their faith uh, wherever they can. So, um, so I think in general, that's why maybe you start seeing the deacon board start functioning like a, a board of trustees or a governing body for the church. And I think that's where we get into trouble. So let me ask you about that, though, right? Because, you know, there is a piece of that where I, I do wonder how much, um, how much should a deacon body be doing helping make decisions with the pastor, right? Because if you look at the list, right, if you look at, and one of the major things that you notice between, at least by looking at the, the difference between overseer and deacon as it's portrayed in First uh, Timothy 3, is one of the biggest distinctions that comes uh, between the two is uh, the pastor, the overseer is in verse two, he's called to be able to teach. That's, that's a standard, like you're not, you should not, and, I, and this is my feeling of this, you should, you're not a pastor if you're not a preacher, that those are uniquely tied together. And so if you're not called to teaching and preaching the text, um, then that's just not for you. Um, now, the deacon side doesn't have that in there. The deacon, there is no qualification. He doesn't need to be a preacher. Uh, he doesn't need to be somebody who, who has to open the, and study. I mean, that's part of chapter six. So he says, so we will attend to the ministry of the word. Right. And so, so there is that aspect, right? So there, the, I think what I see at least is the one major distinction that we do have is the pastor teaches and preaches. That's his role. The deacons are supposed to help so he can continue to do that. So the question is, though, maybe um, on the other side of that, is it out of the bounds for the deacons to then, though, help make decisions with the pastors, uh, you know, about the direction of the church? Or should they really just be confined to making sure, you know, for instance, uh, you know, building and grounds and maintenance and making sure things are locked and li lights off and all that kind of stuff. I mean, so is their role going to be, can their role be larger than just some of those basic kind of servant? And uh, let me just say this too. I think a, a big part of this as well, one of the reasons why, and we'll talk about women in ministry too in a second, um, their wives are part of that because obviously they're going house to house. I think that's part, I think that's implied in the text of how they are and how they're to be able to talk uh, that husband and wife are going in. And so there's certain things that they need to be seen as faithful for. So I think a pastoral care aspect is part of what a deacon needs to be doing. Um, but what about beyond that? And I want to go back to the pastoral care thing in just a sec, but beyond that, what do you think? Can they, can they, should they be helping uh, make decisions with the pastors? Well, I think that, that the key is um, 
especially some, some of this is practicality. Uh, and if you've got a small church of less than 150 members, your godliest uh, group is probably your, your deacons. You know, you're probably not sitting with a multitude of pastors on staff. And so it, it is a natural thing to say, okay, we have godly men who meet the qualifications of Timothy, uh, who fit the bill that we've seen, uh, who have good uh, pull with the congregation because they've been serving the congregation. And so if we're going to make some major decisions, it would make sense that those uh, individuals would be on whatever committee we've set aside to make those decisions. And so, um, you know, in my church, we've often uh, brought in a, uh, a short-term committee or something, and, and it's usually mostly the deacons because, again, it, it just makes sense, uh, especially the deacons that have been serving for years and uh, are, are not necessarily as active as they once were, but they, they've been faithful, they're, they're mature Christians. And so, um, so I'll bring uh, a group together and, and, and utilize my deacons that way. The, the difference is when that body starts uh, telling the pastor, this is what you have to do. And, and part of our congregational polity leads to that to some degree, because uh, if your committees are all made of all your deacons and all your deacons are serving on five or six committees, um, and in a, in a small church, this is not uncommon. You end up with a, uh, a kind of backdoor governing body that is also your deacons. And yeah. so that, that's the problem, I think. But I, I think God expects that, um, that these are going to be major key players in your church. And I think that's okay. It's just a, a matter of recognizing the pastoral authority, which I think this is going to play into that question of ordination uh, as well. And, um, and I think we also are going to have to take it to the question of eldership at some point, because that's becoming really popular today. You've got to have an elder team. I, I, there's churches with elder teams and no deacons. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, so I don't know what well, you think. <laughs> well, before we move on then to that, que that next question, I do want to say um, that, you know, this is one area that I've seen a real blessing of deacons is when you get a real understanding of at least the essentials of what they're to do, right? So if I'm looking at this right now, it talks about deacons in 1 Timothy 3. So here's what he's saying. Worthy respect, that's the, that whole same kind of idea that he says for the pastor, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for a lot of money. So some have speculated too that they're involved with the financials of the decisions of the church, possibly uh, being, you know, <clears throat> doing, doing the counting and all of that stuff too holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, like that's a big deal. Like they need to fully grasp the gospel, not just be the longest standing member who's been there, but they need to truly understand the text of the scripture and the gospel. Uh, they must be tested first. If they prove blameless, they can serve as deacons. So there needs to be something really clear about their lives. Then he launches into the wives section, which I, I, I take that to be verse 11, to be talking about the pastor's wives and the deacon's wives. Uh, because of what a big deal it is to serve together. Uh, but then it goes to verse 12, deacons are to be husband of one wife, managing their own uh, children and their own households competently. And those who have served well acquire a good standing with themselves and great boldness. And so I, I think there's a part of that too, like at verse 13, um, there is a piece of, there is a hidden aspect to what the deacon does too, which is that, um, you know, that God's going to notice what they do and it's going to be something that he will bless, that it's not, not going to be the front person kind of a job. Um, but I do think that there is this piece that I, that I see here, and I think you see that in Acts chapter 6, is they're attending to the daily affairs of stuff that's going on in the church uh, so that the pastor could remain um, faithful to 
his his job. I mean, I've been in a church before where where um, pretty much I was it and um, was seen as the primary pastor, preacher, and primary pastoral caregiver. And, uh, and it's because in a previous church context, uh, and I think this is a tradition, a, a thing of just a past generation, uh, you tie pastor, pastor and care all in one. And in fact, I've seen it, I feel like in a previous generation, uh, you can see at least in Baptist circles where you almost elevated the pastoral care above the preaching teaching piece uh, because you'll hear things and it's been said to me that no one's going to care or ever remember a word about your sermons but they are going to remember when you were in the hospital with them uh, and i know that i'm trailing off on a different conversation here um, but but okay but that's not what the pastor's called to the pastor's called to the ministry of the word that's an important piece I'm here to care and to shepherd the flock, especially as you look at how uh, that word understanding of, you know, as a Baptist, we're looking at overseer and uh, elder and shepherd all tied into the same office, which I do think you see that in Titus, uh, how Paul talks about it. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't think that the caregiving for the whole body, those everyday pieces that are happening, I don't think that that is that is the primary function of the pastor. I think that is for your deacon so they can handle the rest of that. And in fact, I think it's better for the church body uh, to have other believers who are coming and caring for each other than expecting that it's the senior pastor because when the senior pastor's gone, your, your care is gone and it's going to come from somebody else or it's not going to happen the way that you want it anymore. And so I think that ministry needs to be given out to the deacon. So I know I've trailed there, but what are your thoughts? No, I, I absolutely agree. And <clears throat> I think, again, that's part of the issue that we run into with, um, I think, the groups that are, you know, bad experience with deacons or, or you know, we don't need deacons at all is, uh, is typically um, it, it's come out of a bad experience that really uh, is unnecessary. And it may have just come out of pragmatic uh, small churches uh, need these uh, small number of families to hold it all together. And, and in such a case, if you've got 15 strong families and uh, of those 15, you've got uh, five deacons, uh, of course, those are going to be some of your, uh, your key members that you're going to want to work with and get their opinions on. And I think a, a new leader or a weak leader might get, give too much uh, away and, uh, and that could set up something or you get a, a long time, Deacon who, who's really steering the ship and, and it's sometimes you're going to have to uh, butt heads. And I almost look at it like a marriage relationship to some degree where um, the husband's supposed to be uh, in charge, you know, but it's not like every day you're butting heads with your wife on major decisions. Hopefully not. Um, but if that occurs, you know, the, the wife should yield uh, and submit to her husband and uh, the deacons should yield and submit to the pastor because he's the authority. But, you know, all those other pieces of pulling the church together, caring for members, praying for the sick, all, all that stuff um, is, is, is key. And we need our, our deacons to do those things. So, so yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of deacons. You want to shift over to elders for a little bit here? Yeah, let's, let's, let's make the switch to elders then. And I, and you take it cause you're, you've got it more framed in your mind, how you want to make that leap. And then I'll, I'll chime so, in. 
so, you know, I, I, I've seen this with church planners. It, every church planner I know now is, is on an eldership model and, um, and they're not, they're establishing elders even before deacons. And I think the idea is they're afraid to get a lay body uh, established that could uh, slow down the need to be quick and ready uh, uh, to, to build this church, you know. Um, but I'm also seeing a lot of traditional churches move to an eldership model. Uh, in, in truth, I've got no problem with an eldership model because elder is one of the titles for pastor. Uh, and so, you know, as long as you're talking about plurality of pastors, I think that the eldership model makes great sense. What I feel, though, is that we've taken the, um, the role that we don't like when deacons become an elder body, and we've said, okay, we'll just get rid of deacons and only have an elder body. And I've seen firsthand how that does as much damage as the, the concerns from before about uh, slowing me down and I have this group telling me what I need to do. And uh, I think an eldership model is healthy, but you've got to have multiple guys called. And in my mind, an eldership body should be an ordained body to the pastorate. Um, and I'm not sure that that's, that's what's going on right now. And, and in some of these young church plans, it's kind of funny because you have an eldership body of all 30-somethings. And uh, there's no gray hair amongst them, <laughs> you know, and not that you have to be old to be an elder, but it is implied in the term that you've uh, been around for a little bit, that you're not a, a new Christian, new convert. And so I don't know. I'll well, kick I mean, it back I'm, your a way. Problem, I'm a problem um, when we make, I think just in terms of pastor in general. So, I mean, this ties in with the whole eldership thing i mean like i'm look i'm a fan of nine marks uh they've written a lot of stuff on that nine marks <clears throat> is really the, the the head and and really been pushing elders elder body but nine marks is very specific too about about a need for a distinction a distinctive deacon body that does certain things as well and so that, that's something i really value about that is they they understand that and they see the two offices and they, they there's a need for both of them um, my big thing, I think, is when we start getting into what do we have, what what is it, I guess, what does it mean to be a pastor, uh, you know, because I've been in certain churches before where pastor, um, you know, you've got a pastor for this or a pastor for that, and sometimes it's, well, he, he ran a good, he's a Christian businessman, so he's the administrative pastor, but, but, not to, to, to hammer that on anybody. If you're part of a large church that has all of that, that's wonderful. I'm just trying to theologically try <clears> to <throat> understand, does that, does your business background, should that be what makes you an administrative pastor? Uh, is, or is there something more to it? Or, or should, what should the bare minimum be for, for what should be a pastor? So um, you want to, you want to take that for a second? Yeah, well, and that's the key for me, again, with, uh, with eldership. Uh, we've got the three words for pastor, which is the shepherd, right? The presbyter, uh, the elder, uh, and then the overseer, uh, the episcopate. And so, you know, uh, I, I remember being at your ordination service, and I think David Johnson preached uh, a sermon from Peter where it says, you know, the, those that you have been made uh, a, a shepherd over, you know. Um, oh, for goodness sakes. Help me out, Ben. <laughs> uh, govern about? the flock with whom you have been made a uh, pastor, yes. right? Yeah. So, you know, but all three okay. words are used in yeah. that verse, right, of the same office. And so uh, for me, an eldership body would be people who are called to vocational ministry, to shepherd, to, um, to, to lead as an elder, and to um, oversee. And so, uh, and for me, you know, this is going to push into the question of ordination. 
whether we're a nation means anything uh, or if it's just a nice party. Uh, and, uh, and so th those are the questions that I, I would have is if, um, if we're going to try to um, have a, a functional church, you know, I, I do get a little kind of, uh, I smile when I see the, the pastor of junior high sports uh, at one of these giant churches. I'm like, well, that's, that's really specific. And I, I don't get too critical of it, but I do say, okay, well, maybe they've got more junior high volleyball players than I have in my whole church. You know, this Could is be. A, it's a whole different model. So I, I don't want to be too critical of any of that, but I, I don't think that that's necessarily what the apostles had in mind, right? Yeah. And so uh, in general, even the whole concept of youth pastor is foreign to the Bible. Uh, the youth pastor, uh, <laughs> there's the pastor, and then there's parents who take care of their kids and bring them up in the faith. So we've really gone a long way from what the office looks like and what it's supposed to do. And, and uh, it really made it look very similar to uh, the public education system uh, in a lot of ways. Um, and so just anybody who does any administration is, is not necessarily a pastor. Um, yeah, right. I, guess, I guess that's a great thing to think about, though, is so talk about deacon peace and you've talked about pastors, but like so there should be certain distinctions <clears throat> and there should be certain functions of what the pastor does that, um, th you know, that that need to be there um, in order for him to be pastor. Um, and, you know, I have no problem with multiple pastors of a church. I think that's a biblical thing to see. I mean, the, the question is when he says, I, you know, uh, for instance, when he's telling Titus, uh, he says in chapter one, uh, verse five, Paul says, I left you in Crete. Uh, and was to set right what was left undone, I direct you to appoint elders in every town. And the question is, is he appointing multiple elders to each church? Or is he saying that, you know, these are all the churches that make up that town and you've got a pastor-led model? Um, that's, that's all, that's, you know, that's the big debate, of course. Is it pastor-led, you know, or is it multiple elder-led there? But still, I think if you're going to have an elder, if you're going to have an overseer, there should be basic differences between you and, you know, I am the administrator or a director of a, of a program or something like that. Like there should be some obvious, obviously you need to hold to it and make the list for 1 Timothy 3, Titus right. chapter 1, you know. Well, and, I, and I've, I've got a church right now. There's no lead pastor uh, in town. They haven't had a lead pastor in years, and they've got an elder body, and they share the preaching load. And I, I'm not sure that I see anything unbiblical in that, but it's definitely not a, a normal Baptist model uh, because typically you would expect somebody be, would be in charge of the um, overall teaching of the church. And so um, just having a board or a body of elders doing that is, is a little odd to me. Uh, but you know, I'm not sure that that, again, I'm not, I can't necessarily say that's unbiblical. It's just different from our model. Uh, but again, I, I usually think in the small church, uh, world, you know, and if you, if you're planning a church and you've got 50 members and you've got, you know, an elder body, but no deacons, something seems out of, <laughs> out of whack to yeah. me. Uh, so, uh, and then what happens, and I had, I was at a pastor's breakfast and someone said, we, you have to have an elder body. Otherwise what happens is you have un, uh, uh, regenerate people making the decisions of the church. And I'm like, that sounds nice. It sounds very Presbyterian to me. But the, <laughs> the issue is, well, we have a membership. We have a, a, a redeemed body of regenerate people. I, I don't allow unregenerate folks 
to vote. You know, uh, they've been baptized. They've claimed salvation in Christ. And so, uh, so you know, I think, again, it's almost a, a way of getting like a two-tier uh, membership that, that I think is unhealthy. So um, that's a whole nother discussion, man, that I think we need to have is a biblical view of church membership at some point, because as Baptists, we've got to, we've got to kind of discuss the, you know, of the, you know, as even within Baptist circles of having a membership role, having an inflated membership role. I always love going to those where they got like 4,000 on their membership roles, but in regular attendance, they've got 200, you know, and it's like, some, but that's another discussion. So let me ask right. you this, though. Let me lead into this next one. Um, ordination, then. Do you need to be ordained to be a pastor? So, <laughs> and we've already gone back and forth uh, off, off camera talking about this a little bit. And I think it's, it's interesting because I always struggled uh, growing up in the church finding like, what's, what's the need for ordination? Is ordination different than commissioning? Is ordination symbolic? Does it do something? And uh, I've been spending a lot of time the last few years really digging into orthodoxy, Catholicism, and uh, ecumenical stuff, not, not in a wishy-washy way, just trying to better understand. You're just an intellectual. That's what you are. I had to teach, teach church history for a master's course, and I'm like, I better, I better learn this stuff. <laughs> I, I'm a goldfish connoisseur. That's what I do. You, you read, and I eat goldfish. All right. Well, can... <laughs> what I think is interesting is Protestants have inherited a tradition, regardless whether or not um, it's all true or necessary. And so ordination typically is embedded in that succession of bishops, the succession of the apostles, where uh, there was a laying on of hands. You know, whether or not this can be demonstrated historically to have happened, the claims of the Orthodox and the Catholics and even the Anglicans to some degree is that they have maintained an unbroken succession of apostolic uh, connection to the apostles. And so you cannot be a priest or a pastor unless someone who is in that chain of having their hands laid upon them has passed on the spiritual gift unto them, which again, most of the people watching this are going to say, huh, really? They believe that? Uh, because that's not the way we think of it, but we have inherited an ordination service that tends to do a similar thing with laying on of hands. And we usually try to have other pastors and church um, denominational leaders who are also pastors lay their hands on. And, and it's a symbolic idea of passing on that gift, uh, of that office to uh, the recipient. And so I think, again, we believe in symbolic Lord's Supper, symbolic baptism, that these symbols are uh, not uh, imparting power so much as recognizing that God has called somebody. And so uh, I, I, I would still hold to that, but it is interesting because we do have the verses. We have Timothy, don't neglect the gift that was giving, uh, given you through the laying on of hands. That, that there is something about this uh, service, this call, this church recognition of their, their pastor uh, that, that's important. So I think ordination is one of those symbols that is very important and we need to get it right. And it does mean something. So, yeah, you got me thinking about this because that's the question of, you know, and everything that we've kind of talked about and looked up at to this point is, I think there, there is no real... There's no instructions for how to ordain. There's no ceremony in the text for how to do it. I think the closest thing that we can find to ordination or probably what it is, is I think it's pretty specific. I think it's got to be the laying on of hands. 
Uh, and as you referenced, that's First Timothy 4, 14, where he says, don't neglect the gift that was in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands. Um, you know, and, and I take that to mean, especially uh, just finished preaching through Timothy not that long ago, um, that this is, this is the, the affirmation of the gifts and his setting apart in ministry. And I think, um, I think you see that in Acts too, where people will pray and set their hands upon someone to set them apart from ministry. So there's nothing, there's nothing spiritual. I mean, it's obviously spiritual, but I mean, there's nothing um, that's happening in there that, that adds anything extra. I take it to be, we affirm what we see in you. We understand that you have been given these gifts and we are setting you apart for the ministry. Uh, and I think that's an important piece. I think it's, in a way, it's, in my view, it kind of, it's kind of the way I look at baptism, which is baptism is that mark for everyone to see uh, that, that you have joined the community <clears throat> of faith. It's a great thing for a believer, too, to have in their own life, to say, hey, you know, I might have trailed off for a little bit of time, and, but the Lord called me back, and I know, because I know of my baptism, that it was a genuine decision. Uh, I, I've made the decision to follow the Lord. I can hold on to that. Um, and I think there's that piece too of that, that ordination, that laying on of hands is an important piece to say, um, you know, the church has affirmed this. Uh, and I think that's what's really important about the local church is why you need to be ordained in a local church body and not on the internet, um, which, you know, People do, you know, uh, I still don't know. I've, I've debated about Klingon ordination. I know that's a thing too. Uh, but I mean, I think it's the local church <clears throat> seeing people and saying, you're one of ours. And we recognize that you have been something special about you. Not just a man who loves the Lord and loves the text, because that should just be, hopefully that's every man in your church who's a Christian, loves the Lord, loves the Bible. But somebody, there's something else going on besides that, that you begin to see and to feel uh, the Holy Spirit putting on your heart to tell them and, and others are coming around and saying, we see this in you. And they begin to understand that. And so as a result, we put our hands and pray upon them and we set them apart for this ministry. Uh, we affirm what God's been saying in them and the church is affirming it publicly uh, and just making that known. So that's kind of the way I've viewed it and seen it, especially on the New Testament side. Yeah, I think it's important because you have the passages, especially when we get into church governance and whether or not we should have some sort of bishop or presbytery board or, or something that uh, as Baptists, we've tried to just say, whatever the Bible does, we do. And so Paul laid hands on Timothy. Um, the apostles asked the church to set aside uh, men. So the church has a role. The church set aside Paul and Barnabas. Uh, they commissioned them for the uh, mission work. Um, but you also have the, uh, you have the other pastors, you have the other elders, you have the apostles who are part of that as well. We're, we're, you know, that this ordination of a pastor uh, is something that um, brings you into a fraternity of other pastors. And so we always try in our ordination services, at least everyone I've been a part of, to have other pastors be a part of that and that they're part of that laying on of hands as well. And so I, I think that symbolizes um, something special. And it also, it, it communicates, I think, to the church a sense of, of pastoral authority, which is a whole nother thing that we could talk about, but is, you know, 
that teaching responsibility, that uh, setting aside for the preaching of the word, that capacity that God's given you to do that, that gift, uh, is essentially also coming with some sense of authority over the other church members that, that I'm going to be God's um, messenger of the word to you. And so I stand on that authority, but there is a certain um, obedience of the church due to the office, the one holding the office of pastor. Yeah. Um, and I think ordination communicates that in a way that, that, that makes it, it, it is necessary in my, in my book. And ordination, I think, makes it clear that you have, for instance, if we're going to go by a list, if we believe that the text is telling us, look at these people, hold them to the standards that we see, both for elder and for deacon, um, then ordination is clarifying and saying, we believe these men meet these qualifications. And, um, you know, and it is a process to say, it's not just saying, hey, we brought Bob in, he's one of the deacons, but Bob has been vetted. And we believe that, does, and everybody else recognizes that as well. I do have a problem with kind of how we have done it in the past, which is like, you know, especially if you like, you know, the way we do like deacon nominations and stuff like that, because anybody and their brother can like write a name down. But, uh, you know, is it, have you really prayerfully thought about these people? So I like how we do at our churches. We'll get a name, but really then what we do is we approach them and we have a process and we ask them, answer these questions. We begin to look at your life and to talk. And so when we begin to ordain somebody on the deacon body, we've already gone through a vetting and a background and prayed with them and talked with them uh, because when we present them to the church, they are going to be a representative of the church. They are going to carry with them, uh, you know, an ability to, so to speak, uh, you know, do certain things, you know, but that anybody could do, uh, but we are also, we're also saying there's something different about them and God has set them apart to help and to speak into the life of the church on certain things uh, and to, to care for the church body. So I think there's something to it as well that ordination helps say we've gone through the process. We, we know and they, they meet X, Y, Z, you know. And, I, and again, I think that's why it's important to have other pastors present because who, who's the standard holder uh, and who's responsible to make sure that they've met the standards of scripture, if not uh, pastors. Yeah. And, and I think um, so Baptists can be a little weak, I think, in my mind on pastoral authority and the importance of that. But, but that's not fair because every church is different from another. Uh, but, uh, you know, the other question I would have is, is ordination, um, does that church recognition, that ordination, that uh, laying on of hands, uh, do something permanent. So, you know, our deacons, permanent deacons, our pastors, permanent pastors. And uh, I, I just got to bring up the quote from the Baltimore Catechism of the Catholic Church, which says that... that very, very famous. <laughs> so well aware of it. Um, yes. <laughs> that, that holy orders being ordained essentially imprints the soul and makes you, it changes you for eternity. Like you are an eternally different individual due to this act, which... Um, you know, when I first read that, I'm like, wow, that, that is, uh, that's different, you know, because I've, I've wondered if, if deacons should, uh, should, should serve a term and, and then cease to be deacons, or do we recognize their ordination forever? Uh, also, you know, uh, and, and I believe that the instinct of the church is that once you've been ordained, you are set apart forever. But is that something, is that baggage we've carried over, or is there a biblical reason to hold that? Yeah. You know, I think, I think in one thing, obviously, I think it's the same for any pastor. You've been ordained. 
when you fail to meet those requirements, you don't remain pastor. I mean, you might, you might remain ordained, uh, but you're not, you, you, in many cases, if you fail those in a big way, uh, and certain things, um, you know, and you, you don't turn around or anything, you're disqualified. And so your ordination's there, but that really doesn't mean much anymore. Um, you know, and the same thing with deacons. I mean, we've got deacons and the hope is that those who have been ordained persevere and that they remain solid. And so that it's not a question, but you know how it is in every church, which is, uh, you know, yeah, I'm gonna just throw any random name. So any of my deacons watching, I'm not picking your name. I'm going to pick somebody else. So you don't think I'm pointing any of y'all out. Um, but you know, Carl, Carl's on the deacon board and you're ready for Carl to roll off because there's something off, right? And everybody in this house happens. People don't want to call Carl out for what he does. So Carl rolls off and um, we're just not going to let Carl roll back in once his year's up, you know? <clears throat> Um, we'll put them on a different committee. You know, those are kind of, <laughs> that's the sad thing. But so there is that piece of like, I do think, you know, yeah, you evaluate every name and just because, uh, just because they're ordained doesn't mean that they immediately roll back on either. Well, uh, and what's interesting is we don't have a pastoral rolling thing. You know, we've created the, the deacon rolling board in a lot of churches, but that's not happening for the pastor. And I, I think it's very interesting that, um, you know, do we have a process in the church to defrock a, uh, an ordained uh, person? Uh, and I, I think I heard Al Mohler when he was referring to women in ministry and um, whether that preaching is appropriate. And he said, for, for Baptists, the office is the function and the function is the office. So basically, you may be ordained, but if you're no longer functioning in, in the office, uh, then you're not preaching, you're not teaching the word anymore, you're, you're essentially not... Uh, you're not a pastor anymore in that sense, which mm. uh, that, I mean, that strikes me as a little hard because I, I would always show reverence to the person who held the office. And I still do that even for deacons who really can't serve anymore. Uh, we, we honor them for, for holding that office. So we, we don't revoke ordination. Uh, I don't know that we have any mechanism to revoke ordination, but we can fire people. <laughs> we can yeah, but I, but I think there's something practical to what Moeller says there, because yeah. I think he's right, which is, you know, when you're not there, you're not, you know, and I, I think once you retire, especially, or you cease to function or hold those standards, it's over. Uh, but I, I still hold people who are my pastors who are not my pastor anymore uh, and are not pastoring anymore because they've, they've retired from the ministry. I still call them pastor and, and refer to them like that. Uh, because of the role that they put, but they finished well too. And there's that piece of it, you know, that you come into it. Um, okay, so here's another one I want to shift to. Because we're talking about ordination. Do, does ordination, is that what qualifies you to do certain tasks in the church? Uh, do you need ordination to baptize and do the Lord's Supper, the two ordinances of the church? Well, and, and I would also say prayer for the sick uh, in there because, you know, if someone is uh, sick, let them go to the elders, right? And they'll uh, anoint them with oil, pray. So that, there's another uh, non, non-official ordinance of the Baptist yeah. world, but I, it is uh, a practice that many of us do do. Um, and so, you know, uh, but elders are listed there, right? And we get into strange fire now and go that direction. But um, I guess one of the things we both would agree on is that God is the one who has set apart 
uh, an individual for service in the role of a deacon or um, for pastoral uh, responsibilities as a preacher, teacher of the word. So the ordination is more of our recognition of what God did. And so if, if we ended up in a world where there was no, um, there was no really existing church and God did something like an Isaiah, uh, call where he sets somebody apart for ministry, uh, his ordination is, is, uh, is not necessary. The church isn't going to have to do that. There might not even be a church. So I, I would leave room for the fact that God can kind of intervene and do things more in an extraordinary way. Um, but the, the normative way that the church has practiced is some sort of ordination uh, of that individual that involves the church and other pastors. So, I mean, here, here, I mean, so I know this happens because I know of a particular situation even now of um, where we have someone who is about to plant uh, and they're in that process with their group. They are the pastor of the group. Um, and the, the church is excited to send them. Uh, COVID has gotten in the way of that ordination piece. Uh, and so there hasn't been much time to gather and been much time to even want to know about putting hands on anybody to be able to do it. And so uh, their group right now is... Uh, is is meeting in a small capacity, but um, have not, he has not been officially ordained uh, yet, you know, he's been licensed to the ministry. And so, but is there a problem with an individual like that uh, who to, to do Lord's Supper or to baptize people uh, prior to their ordination? I, I think uh, the baptism question that I think does not require a pastor uh, at any time in, in history. It just has always kind of fallen on the pastor to do that. So you, um, and this, this is across denominations, to my knowledge, any, anybody can baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It, it's part of our uh, uh, great commission. So, so that one is not a problem. Uh, the Lord's Supper, it, it is an interesting question. And uh, again, if it's purely symbolic, and we talked about this last week, you know, then then ultimately it's it's not a big big deal. But symbols matter, and how we do the symbols matter. How we uh, they communicate something, and so uh, historically it was the the presbyter who uh, stood in the in the person of Christ, as Paul says, "I forgive him in uh, the persona Christi." That, that I essentially am representing Christ in, uh, in blessing this. And as he said, this is my body, this is my, my blood. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of, um, I'm not Christ in that, but I'm asking Christ to come be present. So I, I think it, it's important and it has historically been uh, required that somebody who's ordained do that. Uh, is it not. ordained or someone who's just a pastor, whether they've been ordained or not? Well, how are they a pastor if they haven't been ordained, I guess, is the question. Yeah. Uh, licensing is more of a uh, state mechanism. And, and you know, we inherited that because uh, you used to have to have a state license to preach uh, because they didn't want just anyone preaching. And you know, that's a, a part of that Baptist story is the fact that we were being persecuted for preaching without a license. <clears throat> and so the license and the ordination are almost always tied together in some sense, but we can essentially license somebody um, that hasn't really fully come to understand their, their role in, in yeah. full-time ministry. But really it's kind of, there was a time when the church and the state was the same thing. And so a license was, was required. We, we're in a whole different world now. 
So I, I think <clears throat> licensing is uh, is a step, but really there's no need to separate those two. In fact, you can be ordained and not licensed as far as I'm concerned, because that's just really letting the state know that that this person's legal to do this. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm, I'm looking on my wall right now at my certificate. So I got my licensing in October and I was ordained the following year uh, in March. And I was a pastor, uh, an associate pastor already when I was brought in and licensed immediately in October. Um, would there have been a, in your mind, theologically, I didn't do it, but would there have been a problem if I administered the Lord's Supper as a licensed pastor in name, yet not yet ordained until March uh, pastor? So, <laughs> so it's, a, it's a tough question. In, in general, when the church licensed you, they did like a, uh, a halvesies on, on, on the ordination. We just hadn't had the ceremony yet. And, it, and we've, I've seen this happen in Baptist life where we've created like a, uh, it's almost like the engagement in the marriage where we, we, we've started the process, but we're going to watch you for a little bit and then we'll do the ordination. And, uh, and I, I'm not sure that's biblical. I, you know, I, I don't have a, I was licensed uh, by a church in San Francisco after seminary, and then I was ordained at my, my first uh, full. Where were you licensed, by the way? Uh, Lincoln Hill uh, Baptist Church. Uh, Did they is that a different name now? I think it is. It, oh, goodness. Uh, no, it's, it's still that same name. Um, uh, Don Bell was pastoring there at the time, and oh. I served there for seminary. And it's in uh, Sausalito. Sausalito. No. What's that town between Novato and Mill Valley? Is that where San Rafael? San Rafael, thank you. It used to be First Baptist San Rafael long ago. That's what. Yeah. So, so anyway, you know, that, that was kind of cool because sentimentally it was like this church wanted to send me off. And I also wanted my home church that sent me to seminary to ordain me, you know, so that was nice. So I, I, it really depends on what we, what, you know, if the laying on of hands is really significant or not, you know, that doesn't always happen in a licensing. Uh, so, you know, that to me is really, that's the only major symbol in the ordination that, that, is biblical required. <laughs> um, so I don't know because would, we believe the Lord's Supper is yeah. symbolic in itself. It's not necessarily, I don't see Paul in the instructions saying that the presbyter has to do this, but it has always been the presbyter that has done it. So I, I, I'm reluctant to say someone who's not officially installed in that capacity um, administers Lord's Supper. I would just say, yeah. I mean, obviously if you're somebody who is, uh, on that process, you're already there, your pastor, you've not yet, for whatever reasons, have been ordained, um, you know, and like I said, we're, we're looking to try to ordain somebody uh, at some point soon, and, uh, you know, in, in those cases, and, and we know, we've already been talking with somebody, hey, we're ready to ordain you, uh, we're just waiting for the time, you're already kind of aboard, we want to bring you on, and we'll take care of the ordination later, that kind of a thing, um, I still, I, you know, I still, I think that there's something to that. If you're already coming aboard and then the church is affirming that, do I think it, should you wait a little bit, I guess, before you do Lord's Supper? That's, that's kind of an iffy question, but I do think that when the church has made the decision to say, you are the person, we affirm this, whether they've laid hands or not, or yet there's something there. But I do think you should hurry up and get that ordination done uh, and really do the man a favor 
uh, of, uh, of blessing him and, and making that known that he has the authority to do these things uh, instead of kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Yeah. And, you know, I, we're just shooting the breeze here. So, you know, this is not an official stance, uh, <laughs> you know, it's but I, Marquez I, stance. I, I, I do fall back personally sometimes into that. Uh, I want to do things right. I don't know that there's uh, any uh, secret to, um, I, I don't believe that I'm converting the Lord's Supper into the legitimate body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus when I pray the prayer. Uh, but I want to do it right. And if, if something mystical does occur, if, if something has the power to kill, uh, it, can it bless? If, uh, you know, if any of you is sick, you know, go to the elders and I let them anoint you with oil. I anoint with oil. Why? Because the Bible said anoint with oil. Does the oil do some magic work? I've heard all kinds of things. That'd be a fun discussion. You know, do we have one sacrament in the Baptist church? Is it, is it anointing with oil and not with water? Um, so, you know, uh, my thought is doing it wrong, we know can bring judgment. So let's do it right. And maybe doing it right can also bring a, an added blessing that isn't necessarily transactional, but uh, I want to, I want to do things right. And part of that is just trying to say, God, I want to follow what you've laid out. And so, so I, I don't know, I'm not necessarily uh, in a, if, if you nailed me down and said, you know, is it wrong for someone to go home and do the Lord's Supper on their own? I wouldn't. I'm not, I'm not going to judge somebody on that. And we talked about that last week, you know, and, and in, and so many of our churches around people are just doing the Lord's Supper on their own with no preacher at all, you know? <laughs> And, and so it's really hard because you know, I think many of our people are, are, are so far um, down this, this road that, that's detached from more of the traditional Christian way of doing things. And the megachurches, I think, are pushing that really quickly. The non-denominational megachurches, uh, they, they're doing things really in a corporate way and pragmatic way sometimes. And so it, it bothers me to, to see that. And, and some people viewing this would just assume that we're, we're really old school. <laughs> Um, but the reason I am is because I want to do it the way scripture says, and I think we ought to do it that way. And then we have to pay attention where, where it's vague or unsure. History should give us a little help to say, Hey, th this has always been the way the church has done it. Maybe, maybe we ought to be careful <laughs> before being novel. So, yeah. Well, Hey, I think, yeah, I think it's a good thing to say. I think it's a good way to kind of end that conversation because that's really what it comes down to. There's a lot of this stuff, which is, you know, I think you've got to make your convictions from the text and yeah. just stick with it. And uh, some things are not always clear. I think that's where tradition comes into play. It's a little helpful to have some of that to kind of navigate. But at some point, you've got to just um, kind of dig in and say, this is where I stand and I'm going to, I'm going to leave it at that. And I, you know, I, I, it may not be completely clear, but this is my conviction on this point. So, well, that's a pretty good discussion. Anything else you want to add to this is before we close this chapter? No, I mean, I, it, this is fun. I, I, I thought maybe our viewers would get frustrated that we don't really always land the plane. Um, <laughs> but I don't feel like we that's our format. You know, we, we just, uh, we don't have to solve all the problems. We're just trying to help people see this is how we think through it. Um, and, uh, so I don't want anyone to, to watch, to get, um, discouraged that, Hey, these are pastors with PhDs and they don't, they don't have this figured out. Um, you know, I think part of the great joy of being a disciple is always learning and always struggling and always asking God help us to do things, uh, in the way that brings you, uh, glory. So.
I think, I think the other thing we bring up is some of the questions we're trying to deal with are ones that, you know, may not have the clearest of answers, but they're ones that we're at least trying to de to decide through. And I think that comes back down. I think there's certain times as pastors too, we have to make decisions on what we believe the text is saying that will guide us and the and what we do and how we will set the course and it may sometimes it's not completely spelled out uh, yeah. but other times it is so i mean like what we talked about right at the very beginning i think it's 100 percent spelled out you have to have the office of pastor and they have, they have the office of deacon that's a non-negotiable okay now we get into the weird the iffy areas though of what is constitute laying on of hands uh, and, and I mean, a whole other thing we didn't even talk about today is the Old Testament side of what right. the laying on of hands did uh, and how that's just practice all the way through to for at least on the priest side and what their role was. And so I think there's something special to that. Um, but I mean, then what does that do? What does that enable you to do? That's where some of that stuff gets a little bit more unclear. And we have to kind of at some point kind of do everything you can, gather it all together, and then say, here's where I stand on this. And we might disagree with it, but we're looking at the text, trying to come to the best conclusion of how to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's a, it's, and, and the more we talk, I think the more we process through it too, of, okay, this is a good place to be. And this has made me think more about that position that I've had. Here, here. Well, hey, um, we will talk and next Thursday, come back and do it again, um, you know, and if you guys have questions or something you'd like us to talk about, put it in the comments or email us or talk to us at church because I'm getting them too, and uh, we'll do something. And so um, let's uh, get ready to close as we will. And, um, and here is the way that we will uh, close. Um, and it says this, it says, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Um, all right, we are done. Thank you for watching OTXNT and um, we'll be back.